on today's episode of The Leadership Drives. Being here in Alabama with so much of the civil rights, um, the cradle of it, mm-hmm. has just been a, a blessing to see how people, how people operate, mm-hmm. you know, and it's about lifting each other up. It's about really lifting each other up and being there for each other. So I'm all for that. My mother made us understand that you are no better than anybody else. Mm-hmm. You're no worse, but you're no better. Mm-hmm. And when you can help somebody, you help somebody. I approach leadership as not I, but we and us. Welcome to the Leadership Drives podcast. Now here's your host, Mylena Sutton. Hello, podcast family, and welcome to the Leadership Drives, the podcast where you are invited to be virtual roadies and cruise with me as I take road trips across the country. I drive to meet leaders because I want to know what drove them into leadership in the first place, and what is driving them now. Yes, you heard right. I drive to meet my podcast guests in person. Whether that means a trip across the country or a drive up the New Jersey Turnpike, my goal is to build real connections and to ask the kinds of questions that make the drive worth it. This episode features the first of three great conversations in Alabama. My first stop was at the home of Reverend Sharita Moon Seawright, the Episcopal Supervisor of the Women's Missionary Society in the 9th Episcopal District of the African Methodist Episcopal Church, which is also known as the AME Church. In the AME Church, the supervisor is typically the spouse of the bishop of that district. Thus, Reverend Sharita Seawright is married to Bishop Harry Seawright. We sat down in her dining room for what was supposed to be a brief conversation and talked the afternoon away. This leadership drive was more than worth it. I sought out Supervisor Seawright because I wanted to know how the wife of a bishop in the AME Church leads in a manner that is truly her own in light of the traditions of the institution. In particular, I wanted to hear about how she navigates the fact that bishops and therefore their wives have to run for office. I wanted to know how she manages the pressures to meet various expectations of what people think a first lady, a woman of the church, mind you, ought to be. And finally, I wanted to know how she reserves part of herself for herself in the name of self-care. I hope you enjoy this drive too. So you knew going in that he was going to be a minister. We met in college, he did his initial sermon. He graduated from Benedict the year before I did. He went to Howard for divinity school. I graduated next year with Ohio State for graduate school. We broke up, got back together, got engaged. But I just, I couldn't see this whole ministry thing. It's like, I just couldn't see it. I couldn't, I couldn't imagine being in that setting. It is a lot of pressure. 
When you say you couldn't imagine being in that setting, what was in your mind? What was so unpleasant, if you will? Oh, my father was a minister. Oh, okay. That was very unpleasant. (laughs) (laughs) Very unpleasant. But I also saw the roles that people, you know, expected. And I knew that wasn't me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I knew that wasn't me. I I just, there's just no need to pretend. Mm -hmm. So what we did, we came up with what works for us. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't look like anybody else's. Mm-hmm. It's what works for us. Mm-hmm. I didn't attend church meetings. Mm-hmm. Because if he were in a meeting and somebody said something to him, he could forget it. Or at least act like, I'm, I'm waiting for you. Come, come on around here. I'll see you at the church. I mean, you know, really, we can settle it right here. Can't you? That's just, that's my personality. Yes, it might be good you didn't go to meetings. Yeah, yeah. so I, I didn't go. And so even when I went in ministry, which was really shocking. I went in ministry. We still kept our stuff separate. Mm-hmm. Um, at our church, we had a nonprofit for like uh, social services or whatever. And the director left, mm-hmm. and they asked me to become director. And I just, I mean, for months, I said nothing. Like, we cannot live together and work together because I was working with the homeless. And my check has nothing to do with what's over here. And I'm happy with that. And so finally, uh, I accepted. And so I became an assistant pastor of the church and uh, the director of Bethel House. And it worked well. We saw less of each other then because <laughs> I was up in my office and he was in his. But it, I was just the fear that we were going to just be together. You know, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, I, I see some pastors in life. They do everything together. That's not us. Mm-hmm. He just mm-hmm. got back from vacation. <laughs> <laughs> I actually think that's kind of healthy to know who you are and to be able to say, we're not going to meet these traditional expectations Mm -hmm. in particular in such traditional organizations. I think that's awesome. So tell me a little bit about how you make this role as the superintendent, your own supervisor, excuse me, supervisor. Mm -hmm. Sorry about that. How do you make this role your own and what's expected and how do you own it? Well, I'm a little slow. Okay. I grew up Baptist. Mm-hmm. And I did too, by the way. Okay. Hey, that's good people there. Good people. <laughs> but women didn't preach. So anyway, um, when he got this, I mean, when he was campaigning and stuff, I stayed home and just made sure that everything was ready. Because I knew if I went on a campaign train, there was no way he was going to get elected to anything. Because somebody was going to say something to me. Mm-hmm. I was going to flick off and that was going to be the end. <laughs> so I started travel with him. I stayed home. I did laundry. All the little nice little things. You need to go? Okay. Just... I did it. So I didn't know. I mean, I, we'd been married for 30, 30 some years, but I didn't know what supervisors did. I saw them at annual conference. They were sitting there and everybody clapped for them and stuff. And they walked in and people just, you know. So I didn't, I didn't know. So when, when he got elected, we were still in Maryland and each district, like Alabama's the ninth district, has an Episcopal, the supervisor of the missionaries and the YPDers. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So this lady kept calling me. And I'm like, why is this lady calling me? Well, supervisor, we just want to know if this is okay. I'm like, yeah, yeah. And so when I got here, well, we don't want to do anything. If it's going to, you know, upset, we don't want to go. And so I said, because I knew I had no clue. What I, was I said, I'll tell you what, let's basically, let's just ride this year out. 
everything you have. And I needed to know what they were doing. I had no clue. This woman was supposed to be calling me. I didn't know. And mm-hmm. so when I told the other supervisor, they're like, well, where have you been? I said, I, I didn't, I stayed out of stuff like that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was just, it was just pretty, pretty hard. It was, it was, it was just different. But as a supervisor, as I said, I'm over the missionaries and the YPDers. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm one of three, three active supervisors who, whose husbands, who are ministers and whose husbands are bishops. Okay. Okay. So, and by the way, the YPD are young people department, correct? Young people department. Okay. Young people, young people division. So as we've done all the time, I want to make sure nobody should ever think that Sharita C. Wright is the bishop. Mm-hmm. And every time you realize that she's not, you should shout. That should make you real happy. You should just do a praise <laughs> dance and go into all you do. Because the <laughs> Lord has blessed you beyond measure. You have no idea. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we keep things separately. So I work with the missionaries mm-hmm. and it works for me. We, we we do a lot of projects and things and it works. But some of a lot of the stuff was in place when I got here. Okay. So like they have, we have this thing with our Tutwiler prison outside of uh, Montgomery Women's Prison. And um, that was going on before. Guys, so we, this past November, went down, took all these supplies over. Uh, we worked with this organization. Um, oh, God, what's the name of it? Okay. Anyway, it's a lady who, she was featured on 60 Minutes years ago, a black doctor here, Dr. Floyd. Mm-hmm. And she um, grew up in Alabama. And so, I think she saw somebody, a black person, die in a waiting room or something. Mm. For, and she promised that if she ever became a doctor, she would. So she goes to the black belt. It's the poorest areas of Alabama. I'm talking about where there are no outhouses. I mean, where you have outhouses. Today. Well. Today. Okay. Okay. And all that stuff. There are plenty of places that have, don't have running water. I mean, it's just not there. And, they, and they're okay with it. They don't have water bill. Mm. Um, so... We, we do that once a month. Well, we, we have a month when it's just ours to take care of the whole thing. But we travel. The, the, the doctor goes. She takes medicine. She does physicals. They sign people up for Medicare. For Medi- we register people to vote while they're there. Uh, she's, it's, it's, it's just an awesome, awesome instance. So we do that. And this is you. Now, COVID has really caused us to look at what we do. Mm. Because, you know, missionaries usually it's at Christmas. East, um, Thanksgiving basket and stuff, but to actually see people coming out and saying, I want to do stuff to help. So last year here in Birmingham, we had a back to school bash where it was a book called a backpack giveaway. So we had all these backpacks that had been donated and then people could come. We had like fun stuff at the Girl Scouts out there, but you could also could get your um, COVID vaccine. And so we had people coming in and it really, 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 really went well. We gave out a backpack and stuff, but it really went well. And we're getting ready to do it again in July because school start here in August. So I try to do things that help us help ourselves. Foster care is a big thing. We had a meeting last night where the focus was on foster care. And I didn't know adult people, adults could go into foster care. I didn't know that. And I guess it depends on the state. I'm here. I don't need a nursing home, but I can't stay by myself. So I find a family. They find a family, and I stay with that family. Okay. So I didn't know adults could go into foster care either. And, and they call it, she called it, the, the director of the department called it foster care. Okay. So I don't know if that's statewide or whatever. This was found in the, in the Tuskegee-Auburn area. Okay. And so just learning a lot. And then being, being here in Alabama where so much of the civil rights, um, the cradle of it, mm-hmm. it's just been a, a blessing to see how people um, 
how people operate, mm-hmm. you know. And it's about lifting each other up. It's about really lifting each other up and being there for each other. So I'm all for that. Indeed, indeed. What has been the, I'm going to say, the part of this work that you've come to enjoy the most? Being with the people. Okay. Being with the people and, and seeing uh, what's important to them. And I, and I say that because I, I don't know if I can say I still am, introvert, off the chart. Mm-hmm. You know, my husband, oh, God, the more people are better. But me, I'm just trying. I, I still experience that. Mm-hmm. But when I'm there and I'm working with people, I can see what we're doing and we're making a difference. Mm-hmm. It pulls something and draws something out of me that I didn't even know I had. Mm-hmm. And I still think I could be good for on an island about three months by myself. But I don't, you know, I, I, I think I would have to come out after that. Before, I thought I could just stay there. But I think I'd have to come out. Have you chosen your island yet? Do you know where you want to go? No, no, no. Not. I'm not telling anybody I'm in a witness protection program. I don't want anybody to come bother me anything. I'll tell you where it is and you'll remember it. And the next time I look up and there you'll be there. There I am. It's like, I, I need to ask. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They got a hiking trail up here. No, you know that. <laughs> well, see, I know you won't be wearing a hiking trail. No, we both won't. know this. <laughs> I can't believe everybody doesn't enjoy hiking as much as I do. I think it's great. Yeah, I'm just trying to figure out what happened to y'all. I'm the company. I fall and break some. I know it. Now, let me ask you, if you look over the course of your life, maybe even, suppose you've been married to him the whole time he's been there, but just when you look at your life, are there any specific experiences that you had that you think really have prepared you for the role you have? I think growing up in South Carolina was a help prepare me a lot. My mother was a first grade teacher Mm -hmm. and uh, she was my first grade teacher for three years. I was in first grade for three years. That's another story. I was about to say, how does that work? And still graduated from high school a year early. Oh, wow. Yeah. No, I was at the point where you go to school. So four, five, and six, I went to school. Okay. And she refused to enroll me until I was six. Okay. So she could have done it early, but she didn't. So then, anyway. So, but we were, we, we were in a, I guess a rural area mm-hmm. where she taught. And she had a lot of children who came to school not even knowing their first name. Mm-hmm. They knew their nickname. They had no idea what their first name was. So uh, teaching, that was back in the days, you're teaching them to write their name and all that stuff. But every year, every year that the Lord sent, when school was out, we spent the first week cleaning our house. Mm-hmm. You know what Venetian blinds are? No. Oh, that's those metal things that they like these. They were metal, and you had to wash them, and then they had to hang them out, and they had to dry, and then you put them back in the little hooks. That's why there are no curtains in here. (laughs) (laughs) These these came with the house. This is why they're here. (laughs) Uh, If they were not here, they would not be here. But we had to do that, and we would uh, also in that. And the next week, we went to the um, peach orchard and picked peaches, or picked up a lot of peaches. And we came back and we canned peaches for about two days. Hmm. Peel, I, you can't pay me to peel a peach now. Just peeling it. Um, Done. To, then you had to cut it out. It was, a, it was an all-day process. Hmm. But that next week, she had students who lived with their grandparents. Mm-hmm. And we went and we helped those people. Hmm. It wasn't a choice about whether you were going. This is what we're doing. And you knew. It, it, it was this is what you do. And she would go there and she would sit and she would 
talk and she would just be involved. And, like, and at that age, you didn't say, I want to go home. You just sat there and suffered through it. It could be 99 degrees in the in the house and in the car because no, neither one had air conditioning. And you were just sitting there just miserable. Mm-hmm. But we knew not the same thing. Just go over there and help me so-and-so do this. Yes, ma'am. Mm-hmm. And that's what we did. Uh-huh. So it got us into the, the mode of knowing that you're supposed to help people. I was blessed. I didn't grow up poor. Mm-hmm. And my mother made us understand that you are no better mm-hmm. than anybody else. Mm-hmm. You're no worse, but you're no better. Mm-hmm. And when you can help somebody, you help somebody. That was my mother's side of the family. Mm-hmm. My daddy's side of the family was, this is ours. It's mine. We're going to keep it. You can't have it. Don't ask. Don't worry about it. Hmm. Okay, so you had these two things coming together. Yeah, so how are we balancing this? Yeah, they didn't balance well. <laughs> but anyway, but I guess most of us picked up more of the mother side of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, it is it is it is served me well. Um, most of the jobs that I've had have been mostly the, the jobs I've enjoyed. Okay. I've been helping people. Um, what did I do? I worked for the Defense Intelligence Agency, and that was a joke. I mean, not, not a joke. I mean, it was just the whole thing of the United States intelligence mm-hmm. system. Mm-hmm. I go to work, I come home and watch TV, and I'm like, really? Because <laughs> they were so different. Wow. Gotcha. And um, so I did that, and then after I did that, I went to divinity school. I left there and got a scholarship for divinity school. The only way I could keep it was to quit my job. Mm. So I quit my good government job. It was good. Mm. It was very, very good to me. The um, last job I had before I started my own business was a good government yeah. job. <laughs> I went to work and whatever happened there, I dropped it there and I came home. And so when I went to divinity school, I got um, a fellowship through the Ford Foundation and I worked at Columbia Lighthouse for the Blind in D.C. I went in the first day, the lady um, blindfolded me and led me through the building. All she had to do was take my glasses. I couldn't see anything, but she didn't know that. <laughs> she, took that steps. <laughs> she took women down steps and stuff. And, and then, and I mean, it was like we went, we met. Mm-hmm. She said, okay, let's go. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and she said, I need you to take your glasses off. I'm going to blindfold you. And we're going to walk around the building. And so her, the thing was, we're going to show you how helpless people are when they come in here. Mm-hmm. And they're counting on you, mm-hmm. just like you were counting on me. And you could see, you could have, you know, could have taken the blindfold off, but these people can't do this. So that was, I guess, my first helping thing as an adult. When I was in college, I worked at a school for mentally challenged children mm-hmm. and adults. So I was like a teacher aide or whatever. And we had children who just had all kinds of um, mental impairments, for lack of a better word. And but it was it was still I loved it. Mm-hmm. I, I think I did it three the first I did it three summers, yeah, mm-hmm. uh, between freshman, sophomore, and senior, and then I um, graduated and went to University of District of Columbia in Washington D.C. and worked there, and then I went to Ohio State. Mm-hmm. Then I came back to Benedict College and I worked in the development office there. Uh, ended up getting married, came to D.C. had kids and stuff, but my my job um, when I left the finish school, I ended up. When I graduated from Divinity School, I ended up working with the homeless mm-hmm. in Prince George's County, Maryland. Mm-hmm. They had a program called Warm Nights. I worked for a community ministry, but one of the programs was Warm Nights that I headed. And it was when churches housed the homeless for one week at a time, starting mm-hmm. Sunday after Thanksgiving, going to right up above, right around Easter time. Okay. And 
Each church kept for a week. They would be there from 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. The, the, the county provided cots and blankets and all that stuff. And so when I went into it, there were there was one white church that housed them for six weeks from the day after Thanksgiving up until January. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, there's something wrong with this. So I'm, there was only one black church that mm-hmm. was doing it. So I made that my crusade to go out and find some black church. The people who were staying here looked like us. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we mm-hmm. needed to do something. And, and it was it was a hard sale because all these people are going to come in. They're going to tear up our church. No. Uh, if you are nice to them and treat them nice and everything, they, they will tear up your stuff. Mm-hmm. Any more than your relatives will. You know, <laughs> um, you probably trust them more than you trust your relatives. Now, I might steal something funny, but your relatives will too. But don't worry about it. Um, and I loved that. Mm-hmm. So when I finished that, I went to Union Bethel and worked for the nonprofit there at our church. And I stayed there until 2010, 2010, I think it was, or 2012. And then I just became assistant pastor totally. So somewhere around 20, I became a, a hospital, a, a, a chaplain. Mm-hmm. I trained for chaplaincy at Georgetown. Okay. Christian Hospital. And I loved it. I I learned, that's when I got my most respect for nurses. Because mm-hmm. I'm thinking, these nurses mess up, and these laptops, these doctors are screwed. Mm-hmm. Um, and just to see the, the way they, the long hours they work and stuff, and then just to be dealing with families, you're coming in and people are dying, and how do you deal with it? You're coming in. And we had, my one of my, one of my assignments was, I met people in the pre-surgery unit. Mm-hmm. So when they came in, I was in like seven o'clock that morning when people were getting ready for surgery. And I met so many interesting people. Mm-hmm. One of the best conversations I ever had was with an atheist. Hmm. It was just because I wasn't gonna say anything. Oh, we can talk. And we just we talked. And I understood. And he said, Yeah, I might, I might go back to church after this and stuff. And it's it just the conversation that we had, it what it wasn't bickering, it wasn't fighting, it wasn't button heads. Did he say something particularly just profound in your opinion? He said that uh, the reason he stopped believing is because his life was just so hard. He just couldn't imagine God, who's supposed to be so giving and so loving, mm-hmm. um, you know, could I do that. That would be painful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. days when I question, like, okay, God. I have to say, I told God I want to be on his human management committee because I'd like to offer some advice. <laughs> well, we have a little different arrangement. I tell God what I want. And God just ignores me. I just don't understand that. I know I have the best plan. <laughs> Somehow it always goes the way God wants it to go. I know, yeah, right? I just, but I think if you get that job, you look out for me. So I hope you get it. Indeed. I used to say when I get to heaven, I want to. I'm like, if I get there, I don't want to do nothing. Leave me alone. I'm just going to sit here and be, yeah, I made it for real. I really made it. So um, I, um, when I left uh, Georgetown, then I became a hospice chaplain. Okay. Best job ever had in my life. And you didn't feel emotionally drained by it? It made me appreciate life mm. in a way that I probably never would have. Okay. You To get in hospice, you got to have a diagnosis of six months or less to live. That's not, We had people who graduated from hospice. That was a good thing about it. So everybody who came in didn't die. But the stories and to hear people talk about uh, what's important to them, you know, uh, this one lady, oh God, she was, she just wouldn't die. Mm-hmm. Why is this lady not dying? Every weekend when we have our every other meet, also, Miss So and So, she's still here. Yep, still here. What you're not going to do is rush her. She's not. 
that lady told me, she said, um, one day she said, Reverend, can you talk with you? And so I said, okay. That lady told me some stuff. That I, I had to come home and look some of it up. I mean, it was, it was deep-seated personal pain in her life. Hmm. And she said she had not told anybody. This woman, I mean, maybe about 45 minutes, she just talked. And I just sat there. And I left out of the room, and within 15 minutes, she was dead. She had to get it out. She could not go wow. with that in her. Wow. And so to see people, and, and, and with, with hospice, not only we had some patients who were in the hospital, we had some who were in um, facilities, but we also had people who were at home. To go to somebody's home, and you know they have a diagnosis of death, and there's nobody. Mm-hmm. It's not that they haven't gotten there yet. They're not coming. There's nobody to show up. Mm-hmm. So the only conversations they have with people are the hospitals. So you're in the Washington, D.C. area. You're in a, a suburb that's not really the safest place to be. But these people have their doors unlocked because everybody needs to come in. The hospital nurse needs to come in. The doctor needs to come in periodically. The aides to come in and help. All that stuff. And if somebody happens to drop some food by, you know, they need to be able to get in the, get in the house. So to see people, but just to watch how at the end, at the end, when it was so close to death, and to watch them talk about what was important in their life, family. Mm-hmm. Now, I wish I had kids. Oh, I wish I had kids. I'm thinking, maybe you think that. Um, but, you know, to hear them talk about what's important in my the, the the faith that they grew up with played such an important part in their lives at the end. And they wanted communion. Mm-hmm. You know, they wanted to have that cup and that bread. They, they, they want, that was important to them. Um, even had a few baptisms. Mm-hmm. But just the, just, the, just the idea of watching people die. Their, their job is acting dying. Mm-hmm. And what do you do with that? How, do you, how could I handle it that easily? I'm not sure. But they taught me a lot that you live while you can live. Live while you do can what live. you can do while you can do. Because when he gets to the point, this oh point, you can't do anything. It's just your numbers up. I love that. Live while you can live. Live while you can live. Live because you're right. When it's over, what? What else? Yeah, and we're sitting here. We all stressed out about what's, what's going to happen. What's going to happen next? I mean, I went out this morning. Yesterday, came home. Gas was a dollar. I mean, four dollars and seventeen cents. I went out this morning, four thirty-five. And I said, okay. Calm down. Mm-hmm. You can't do anything about this. Mm-hmm. You're going to either walk or you're going to drive. Mm-hmm. So let's just come back to reality. But we we spend so much time, we waste so much time on things that really don't matter. And when people are dying, they don't have time for that. Mm-hmm. They're trying to get it together. And some of it was trying to bring the families back together. You know, they, they weren't, children weren't speaking to parents and stuff like that. Or the dad was there and they didn't want and, and even um, separated couples. Mm-hmm. Who were separated, not divorced, but separated to see how they could come back and make this thing work for the children, even mm-hmm. in, even in dying. Mm-hmm. Uh, divorced parents, okay, that's that's my child's mother, that's my child's father. We're gonna be here for you. Mm-hmm. So it just did a whole lot of things for the human dynamic. I never, I never thought I'd like that. I never thought I'd enjoy working with people who were dying. It was the best job I've ever had, you know. I think I can kind of see it, though, because if you are the introvert that you say you are, mm-hmm. and I think of people who are introverts, because I think I got a tad of that. They don't like fluff. 
Oh, no, we don't do fluff well at all. Not at all. <laughs> Not at all. So if you're in that context, there's no space for fluff. Mm-hmm. These conversations that you're having are real. Mm-hmm. Um, and people, frankly, they don't care about um, perceptions, images. Mm-hmm. This, it, The nitty gritty is here. I am dying. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do about it? Yes. Let's talk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I can totally see that. And you, and you see them in that real environment. Yeah, This one lady, she was... It's like I, I came home and looked and Googled her. Mm-hmm. She was in this um, mental, the memory unit of, an, of a, a retirement home. This woman had degrees from every. She had something to do with the atomic bomb. Mm. Okay. Mm. She was in some, as a woman, she was one of the few people or something. Anyway, it was just weird. But here she was dying. And I thought about it. She was there in the room. She had a private duty nurse who stayed there with her. But it was just her money could get her that, but it couldn't get her. This lady, this lady wouldn't know this was a model. Brilliant at one point. And so I, I, I listened to people and got all these degrees, all these. You're dead. Mm-hmm. I'm all for education. Mm-hmm. Get as much as you can, have as much, but use it. In the right way, using the way that when you, when I die, I want somebody to miss me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I want to say, you mm-hmm. know, you know, uh, Sharita wouldn't just, you know, what would Sharita do? You know, I, I mean, it's good. What would Jesus do? But what? How have how about yes. people's lives? Yes, to see to make a difference. I want you to miss me. If you want to holler and fuck, do that. Do I that. want you to miss me. <laughs> I often tell my friends that I said, I need a big funeral. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yes. You should attend some of my husband's family's funeral. They do it all. See, they, they do it all. They, they don't leave any stone. Okay. I will say this. The longest funeral I ever went to, my uncle George died and he was a mason. At <laughs> what point I'm like, oh my God, we've been in here forever. Jesus will meet us at the cemetery at this point. <laughs> Um, I hear you. So let me ask you, it sounds like the work that you do allows you to do that, to live your life in such a way that you are giving to people in a way that's consistent with makes you feel loved. And frankly, you're giving that love to other people. Okay. Okay. She could say that. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of how I was looking at it. It seems like you're giving love in a way and in turn, that'll come back. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess that's the difference that I'm feeling is that is I've allowed myself to allow it to come back. Yeah. You know, because I've seen God bless through things that mm-hmm. look like, why in the world are you doing this? And then come back, oh, that's a blessing right over in there. Mm-hmm. If I had not gone that way, it wouldn't happen. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I hear you. That's true. Do you have any what I call anchor habits? Things that you do on a regular basis without fail that you think really serve you. I pray. Mm-hmm. I do a Bible read. I have the one-year Bible. I've been reading it since like 1987. Mm-hmm. And I've done different versions of it. Um, walking helps me. Okay. Yeah. The treadmill is not for me because I'm going to walk. I got to be going somewhere. Uh, I can do the recumbent bike because the numbers do change. I can work with that. Um, I like to read. Mm-hmm. I like to write. I like to listen to music. Now, with the things that you write, do you share those things, or is this your personal writing? Uh, some of it's personal. I have a book entitled "When Mama Died: A Journey to Self." Mm-hmm. I'll let you see that before you go. I got. I think I got a copy in the room. I'll give it to you. 
It was about, about my grief journey. Indeed. And about how just how I like that. Now there's another story of my life that I want to write. My sister said, I said, if I write it, my husband can't be bishop. And my sister said, if you write it, your husband won't need to be bishop because this book will sell. <laughs> <laughs> this book will sell. Um, and so I, I, I have some, some very private writings, but I also have things. And I, and I just like, I keep on, I mean, this is, this is how dedicated I am to the cause. Every year, I get one of these I have a journal that matches it, and I decorate both of them. It's all that little preschool stuff. Well, not preschool, but kindergarten stuff paid off. And so um, <laughs> when I'm out and I have ideas, I just jot them down. And then I also keep my walking record in the back. Um, awesome. But it's just in case something hits me and I want to think and I might want to write about it later on. But I, I do think writing is one of my strong points. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, I know it is. I know it is. I can, I can write. All right, I can write. I can write. I would love to see what happens when he's no longer bishop so we can get that book. Uh, I think the book's going, I'm, I'm working on it. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm working on it. Um, and if not, even if nobody else sees it, I want my children to see it. Mm-hmm. My grandson to see it. Indeed, I'm actually, I keep a journal, if you will, because mm-hmm. I didn't, I haven't grown up, or my nieces and nephews haven't grown up with me around. Okay. I've always been the auntie who lives somewhere else. Okay. So I've been keeping a journal and I've even bought little things that I want to give to them at certain significant places in their lives. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping that whenever it's my time, or if mm-hmm. I can't ever speak to myself, that they will read them. Mm-hmm. Because not only did they not grow up with me, but I also chose not to have kids. Mm-hmm. So the one thing that kind of kind of tears at me a little is that I don't know them as well as I'd like to. Okay. Yeah. So it would be my kind of, I'm sorry I didn't get to know you. Mm-hmm. And you said something a few moments ago that made me think, I need to live while I can live. I still mm-hmm. have time to build those relationships. Mm-hmm. So um, get on it instead of talking about what you wish would have been. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's made. You know, I admire people who make a choice not to have children. Mm-hmm. I never wanted children. I wanted to be a lawyer, filthy rich. I, I wanted to. I wanted to get a law degree. I wanted to teach law and be filthy rich mm-hmm. by myself. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that turned out when yeah. going to church. I don't know. So, um, but I'm the only one of my, of my siblings. Have, there are four of us. I'm the only one with children, mm-hmm. and the other ones do not have children by choice. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They said we knew we should not be responsible for anybody. Oh my God, that's me. <laughs> My sister said, if I have something, you need to get a chain and a rope. It's going to have to be tied up and, and let out once a day. A barrel. Yeah. But, um, you know, I, I, I respect that because so many people have children and they don't want them. Mm-hmm. And they just, the kids suffer. And that's exactly it. I As I live my life, I've never had that when I see other people's babies that my ovaries hurt. I've no, never had that. No. But the one thing that I also thought, as I, particularly as I started my business, because I was about 30 when I decided, I made a clear choice then. If I had to choose this route or this route, I'm going to choose me. Okay. Um, and I chose me, and I was clear about that, because I think if you're going to have a kid, they deserve so much of your time and attention. And one thing I knew for sure when I started out, and that was I didn't know exactly what I was doing. And the only way that I said I would even consider it, despite the fact that I didn't want kids, is that I would have to marry someone who could afford to retire me because I was not going to try to toggle running a business Mm -hmm. and going to work. And one of the reasons why I did not want a job is because in most of the places I'd worked, I did not like the organization's culture. Mm 
Mm-hmm. And so in my mind, you're not going to send me back to purgatory. Mm-hmm. So if we can't afford to do this, it's not even an option. So no, it's never been the thing that's on my list to do. No. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's funny you say when you made my, uh, my sister says, you know, we were, she's a teacher. And she said, oh, listen, and they saw this little baby and the baby started crying. They talking about, oh, they could feel their womb. And I said, if mine wake up, I'm going <laughs> to shoot it. <laughs> That's hilarious. Wrong. <laughs> I should not be responsible for another person. That is hilarious. But it, it's 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 hard work. Uh, I, we have two children, two mm-hmm. adult children, and a, uh, an adult grandson now. And um, they're like, you can mess with me, but if you mess with Sherry, Matthew, Cameron, or Harry, mm-hmm. you have a problem. Mm-hmm. I I just I don't play. No, we don't we don't do that. And so um, that's. You know, that's why I kind of stay out of the fray of stuff. Mm-hmm. He does his thing. I do mine. Because I know I'm going to say something that's going to offend somebody. Mm-hmm. So I have a little notepad and I just write stuff out. <laughs> you are stupid and your mama dressed you funny. <laughs> you know what? You know. <laughs> but I don't have to say it. I get it. I, but I have to get it out. So. And the work that you do, what are the common sources of conflict? Uh, everybody wanted to be... Um, in a position. Mm-hmm. I want an office. I want to be this officer here. And this is the office I want because my grandmama had the office and her mama had it for them. Now, none of them did anything with it, but we don't know that. But <laughs> I want this office mm-hmm. because I, this, this is the office I want. Mm. Okay. So you get your friends together, you rally, and you get elected to this office and you do nothing. Mm-hmm. So um, you have the people who are in that category. But at the same time, I'm trying to draw younger people into this thing and and younger people the under 50 crowd is not going to put up with stuff mm-hmm. you know you just come straight or they don't come at all I got this job I got this stuff I got to travel I don't have time to be doing all this stuff I am not coming to a meeting and listening to you argue for an hour and a half mm-hmm. I can stay home mm-hmm. and that's what I'll choose to do mm-hmm. so a lot of it is about people who, who want to be in positions but they don't want to do the work mm-hmm. and so it creates a strain on everybody so I've told them mm-hmm. all if you don't want to do this anytime you accept a position a leadership position and you decide you don't want to do it please let me know I won't be angry. You know, I won't, I won't try to talk you back into it because evidently you've decided you can't do this. Mm-hmm. And so it's easier for me to find somebody else mm-hmm. that will do it than to try to convince you to do something you don't want to do. You just might have gotten tired. I, was, I, know I, don't, I, I thought it was going to be one thing, mm-hmm. but it's not. It's something else. And so I don't want to do this. But I'll, I'll say, come, come to me. Let me know. You can always... We can always talk about it. So don't feel like you're trapped in something. But the biggest conflict is about positions. Um, I basically um, I basically take care of myself as far as, I mean, you've seen some first ladies and who just, they, I mean, they, they, it's like they're not even potty trained. They go to the bathroom and people go with them. No, mm. no, no. I had this master before I met you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I'm very careful to, to to not create roles where one person gets to be with me all the time and then somebody else, because that's conflict too. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, well, she's with the supervisor. She's with the supervisor. But chances are, it was so funny. We first came here, this lady, I was talking to this lady. In church, we were getting ready to go into a service. We'd had meetings that day. And the lady said, 
my, I'm, I'm, I'm just glad to talk to you, supervisor. Like, okay. So she said, now my friend back there, she wants to talk to you, but she's scared because she thinks she can't talk to you. I said, well, tell her, come up here. She said, I told you you could talk to her. <laughs> oh, that's a shame. <laughs> but some people are so standoffish, but I know, I, I, I think um, it helps with conflict when you get to know the people. Mm-hmm. You know, I read a book um, in ministry once called They Smell Like Sheep, how pastors are the shepherds. And so if you're a shepherd, you need to smell like the sheep. You need to spend time with the sheep. You mm-hmm. know. And so I think I, I like to talk, interact with people and hear their stories and just be there just to listen. You know, mm-hmm. I love going play. I can't do it now. But when I first got here, I just go in the room and sit down. Nobody knew who I was. Mm-hmm. Oh God. I, I remember we were down in Tuskegee. Yes. In Tuskegee on the street with Tuskegee university. And we were in this church and these ladies came in, three little ladies, they came in. So I went over and sat down to meet her and started and we just talking and stuff. And so they're like, oh, how you doing? I mean, perfect conversation. Somebody walks in, a supervisor said, right, you need to come sit up here. And they went, <laughs> yeah, you're the supervisor. My mother taught me mm-hmm. that you know better than anybody else. Mm-hmm. Yes. But if it were for not you, were it for you, I wouldn't have this position. Mm-hmm. So I find that when you get to know people, it helps ease conflict. Now, they don't still fight each other, mm-hmm. but most of it is about position. I don't, I, I've had this spot, and this is my spot, and, and, and I want it. And I just, I mean, I've seen friendships break up, mm-hmm. you know, people who grew up together. And yet one got the position and the other one didn't. Other, or the other one got it and the other one said something against the her once she got it. And it's like, wow, it can really break down relationships. You know, it's interesting because sometimes, well, what data tells us is that people thrive on praise um, and feedback. What I don't think I understand sometimes about people who want titles and don't do the work, because for me, title not doing the work equals shame and embarrassment. And I there's a, a tension there for me when I think of that. It's like you want the praise, but you don't want to do the labor. And uh, I find that to be interesting. So how do you tell somebody that on your team or someone who has to you know, work closely with you? You're not pulling your weight. Uh, that's basically the way I say it. Okay. Yeah. Let's just have it. I mean, you know it. I know it. So we don't have to, we don't have to play around this. You know that you're not doing what you're supposed to do. I had one lady and she was just, oh, she was just in tears. I can't believe you're saying this to me. But prove me wrong. Mm-hmm. You were supposed to do da-da-da-da-da since I've been here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and you have done none of that. You've come in with good excuses. You've written up stuff. You know, you talk a good game, but you don't do it. And she really, I was, I really thought she was going to quit, but she didn't. Um, she became, she has, has become one of the best workers. I mean, good she you. she really does her, her stuff. I mean, she, and she, she jokes about it. Yeah, you just called me on the car. You just threw me under the bus. I know you threw yourself under the bus. I was just driving it. You know, whenever you lay down, <laughs> you know, driving the bus. Somebody had to drive the bus. Indeed. But um, no, I just um, I think if I believe in people being straight up with me, I'm slow. I can't figure out stuff. You know, all <laughs> my my kids say, yeah, y'all were made for each other because y'all both in the same little world. Because you're not really aware of what's going on. We are. It's just that it affects us differently. But I do believe God made us for each other. God knows I believe he did. Um, but I, I just believe that when you're open with people, mm-hmm. you know, I approach leadership as not I, but we and us. 
because I'm just a facilitator. You've been here all these years. There's, there was something that worked that allowed me to have a place to go when I got here. So you must have done something right. You did at least one thing right. At least work. To still, yeah, to still be existing. Mm-hmm. So who am I to come in and say, well, no, can't do this. Can't do this. Because I think, that I, no, let's ride it out. Let me see what you all are doing. Mm-hmm. And then we can go from there. And most of the stuff stayed in place. Mm-hmm. Because it just was, it wasn't, it was working. Mm-hmm. But it was, it was things that they believed in. It was mm-hmm. theirs. And if you give people, I believe when people have ownership of stuff, they mm-hmm. take better care of it. Mm-hmm. But if it's the supervisor coming in, this is what we're going to do, and this is how we're going to do it, and they say, okay, well, you do it by yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, because people can show you better than they can tell you. Uh-huh, for sure, for sure, for sure. <laughs> show you better than they can tell you. Is there something you've been working on where you've been trying to get everybody on the same page? To be honest, I don't I don't shoot for that anymore. Okay. I used to do that um following some of my earlier positions. But I really look at the fact that Jesus couldn't get everybody together. Mm. And if Jesus couldn't get them together, it's not gonna happen with me. Mm. So we have to find as facilitators, mm. I have to find a place where all of us mm-hmm. we can come together, not me and them, but us. Listen to all the ideas, and I listen. Mm-hmm. I listen. I just, and it, it drives people crazy because they want you to say something. I'm, I'm listening to you because I ask you, what do you think? Mm-hmm. And so, as you're proceeding to tell me that, it's my job to listen. And so, I'm thinking if I got five people sitting together in one place and they all have an idea, I think that five might do better, have more weight than my one, mm-hmm. which could be completely left field because I don't know the culture. These people know the culture. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like you can pick on me, I can pick on you, but but nobody else. Mm-hmm. And so these people have been together. They, you know, the ninth district, they're, they're together. So their ideas are much because I in two years and two months, I'm out of here. Mm-hmm. We, we have to we have to move. Don't know where we're going, but we have to move. And so, but these people will still be here. You know, you just said something that kind of struck me too. If you don't feel responsible, if you will, for getting them on the same page, you freed yourself of that mm-hmm. internal mm-hmm. pull, then it makes consensus building um, less of an issue because you don't have an agenda of your own that you're pushing. And people know that. Mm-hmm. They can see that. They see that this is really ours. This is ours. This is ours. And she's going to let it be ours. She's not going to come and say, boom. You know, and I, I can't think of. Maybe one or two things where I had to make an executive decision, mm-hmm. but usually it's it's about discussion. Let's mm-hmm. let's just talk about it. Mm-hmm. And we have um, uh, quarterly meetings mm-hmm. with the executive board, we'll the executive board of the, that involves the whole state, and uh, anyone can attend them who wants to attend. Anybody in the state, and we just talk about stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, if I see something happening that I think might go awry, I might. Call the person and say, "No, look, let's 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 talk. I've noticed. I see you have this on on schedule. Let's look at this a different. Let's let, tell me, explain, explain to me what this means to you. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times it comes out to be something personal. This is what they want to do, and it has nothing to do with anything else. And it, and a lot of times there's not a hidden agenda. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them are in place. They they I'm new to this, and I just want to know where I fit in. So I want to try this. Well, okay, okay try. So let's get the okay. This is your group." Write out what you have, and let's get some other people in. Once again, bringing 
everybody in, and let them listen. And everybody's opinion matters. Mm-hmm. Uh, we don't we don't laugh at people's ideas. Mm-hmm. We embrace. We respect. Mm-hmm. Each other, and I think respect does a lot in conflict as well. Mm-hmm. If I know that I can say to you whatever I need to say to you, and you're not going to get all mad and you know, oh, I'm just going to leave it. I'm, no, mm-hmm. it, it might hurt me to the core, but you'll never know. Mm-hmm. Or I might say, you know, well, I really don't understand that, but that's your opinion. And I think I, I, in that, in what you said, I heard something. And if you find one thing, because people just want to be heard. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. They just want to be heard. Because in, in this world, you don't get heard. Mm-hmm. Definitely. I'm definitely with you there. There was a few things. So for one, sometimes leaders, they go in and they say they want consensus. They want other people's opinions, but they really don't. They have the decision made when they get there. And people know that. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, really figuring out how do you create that space? And you just talked about it. You just do it. Where everybody's opinion comes to the table. Um, you can bring it up because what we talk about that as we call it psychological safety. If mm-hmm. I am in a team and I feel like if I can bring up an idea and if it's not perfect, if you're going to criticize me, I don't bring up those ideas. Mm-hmm. But what happens is we don't get the benefit of synergy then because you That's might right. pick up on my piece and you add to it. And you and mm-hmm. now we got something that none of us would have come up with. Mm-hmm. But if I don't feel safe enough to bring it up mm-hmm. because it's not perfect, then none of us benefit from that. Mm-hmm. And the same thing is true in general when I think about how. We deal with conflict in terms of talking about things that hurt. To me, that's about trust. Mm-hmm. Um, if I can't tell you the things that you don't want to hear without you wigging out, for lack of a better way to put it, um, it tells you that the people around you don't feel safe enough. I even tell leaders often, if everybody in your team is always in agreement with you, somebody lying. They, that is just not true. Um, they just don't feel comfortable enough that there won't be any reprisal mm-hmm. for not saying anything. Mm-hmm. I was blessed when I went in. When I got married, uh, my husband had an older friend, and his wife became my friend. Mm-hmm. And anything that I did that was not right, see, right? Now, I know you don't want to go to this meeting, but you married the man, and I don't want to see you mess him up. So, since we're going to this meeting, <laughs> you can sit with me. <laughs> We going, we going, and you can see you with me because husband's faster too. And um, she died the the year I came here, and it Mm. just, I'm just so sorry that she's not able to see. She saw a little part of of me in this, but we would have had a lot of fun. And and I have a a a play mom who now has forms of uh, some form of dementia or Alzheimer's or something. But I I like people to tell me the truth. Mm -hmm. You know, don't let me go out here. You know, I see some people come outside. And I'm like, hey, they don't have a friend or a mirror. Something wrong. Something is very, <laughs> very wrong. wrong. Nobody should let you come out like mm-hmm. that. It might hurt your feelings, but cover yourself up. Mm-hmm. I mean, mm-hmm. And so I've always had people who could who would tell that. And, and my husband, we don't always see eye to eye, but we've gotten to the point where we can meet a middle ground and make it work. But I, I just think that when people have a part in something, it makes a difference. Indeed. That's why, the, you know, it's like having an allowance. You give me everything I want, but you give me an allowance, I got to make decisions. Then it becomes mine. It really becomes mine. But otherwise, it's yours. I can break it and go on where I want to go. So if this is my idea. We're all coming here with these same ideas. And we can make this, we can make it work. It'll all be good. We can, we can make life what it is. Hey, we're, look, this is real life. We know people have families. <laughs> indeed, indeed. This is... um. If we can, in fact, 
get people to be in a space where they can be honest mm -hmm. and you can hear them and they tell you the truth, we might actually get something done. Respectfully honest. Mm -hmm. Respect. I like that. Respectfully it's honest. It's not what you say, it's how you say it. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to keep repeating it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You say it, you say it the right way. Unless somebody asked you, what did you say? This is, yeah. No. Mm -hmm. They heard you the first time. They heard you. And the second time they ignored you. And the third time they don't care what you do. Mm -hmm. So let's make this an environment where everybody can come together. And your idea, I like that. Hmm. Did you hear what she said? Well, let's just look at it from this point. Because you have the stalwarts who like, you know, my mama carried the first brick to whatever, do what stuff, and they the pillow of the church. And I'm like, yeah, that's why the church leaning, but we won't go into that. <laughs> um, but you have to let them know and 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 tell them the psychological safety. I'm a new person in this. I I've been I've joined this organization, and now you're telling me I can't say anything, I can't do anything, I can't, you know. You just want a puppet. You, mm -hmm. you can meet by yourself. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. um, I'm very appreciative. I, I always um, thank people for taking the time, mm -hmm. even on Zoom, to, to take the time for this. I know you could be doing something else, and you probably were while we were doing this, but that's another story. Mm -hmm. But I appreciate the fact that you signed on mm -hmm. and you pretended that you were interested. And you might have, been, you know, what I mean, come to the reality of the Zoom world. You know, you put the take the video off, you go on doing something else. That's true. But the true. fact is, matter that you signed on. Mm -hmm. So I am grateful that you took the time because it's possible that you might bring something to it. Mm -hmm. And um, and I love the chats because they can send stuff to me that nobody else can see. Mm -hmm. Not until after the recording's out, anyway. <laughs> but they can send it to me when the supervisor. Okay, and then. But I just think consistency is so important and respecting people. Mm -hmm. Respect works. Respect just works. I like that. Respect it, just works. It works. Mm -hmm. it, it, it worked. If you res I don't have to agree with you. I don't have to like you. When I came here, uh, my sister said, I, I can't believe you did this, but then I can. I can. When I met with the missionaries the first time, we were down at Troy University at our Christian Ed Congress, and I told them, I said, um, Okay, just want you all to know, that's the bishop, and I'm not. You should be grateful for that. I said, now, he wants to be your friend. He is everybody's friend. He just loves people. That's not me. I am not here to make friends. I'm here to do ministry. So this is not a Girl Scout troop. We don't have to all get along, but we will respect each other. Mm-hmm. We might not like each other, but we were, and I, and I kept telling you, you we, we will respect, respect each other. Mm -hmm. And so um, it's work. I also like to keep things light. I don't, I don't like to, when I first came, I think they were just really confused. Like, this man found a nut <laughs> because I like to have fun. Mm -hmm. And um, so, you know, like, like the first, I remember the first meeting. The first or second meeting, this lady got up and went to the restroom. She and she made this big thing about I have to go to the restroom. Like the meeting's going to stop if you know because I have to go to the restroom. So she went. She came back and I said, "You think I'm out all right?" <laughs> <laughs> Hilarious. Then you think we need to know? <laughs> so I try to keep it like not. They know that that I like to play. I like to have fun, but I also like to be serious. And I will tell them. Um, we can we can make this work, mm -hmm. but a lot of conflict is avoided when people understand that you really care, about it. and they understand. I don't. I'm not. You know, I'm not 
the kind of person where you got to look up to me. Because if, if everybody looks up to you, then that means they must be shorter mm-hmm. at some point. So <laughs> you got to get the perspective of why they're looking up to you because you're shorter. Mm-hmm. You're tall and they have to look up to you. But I would rather be respected rather than liked. Understood. And I think that's key mm-hmm. to leadership. Because mm-hmm. lead, you're not going to be liked. You're going to always do something to offend somebody else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But if I can... It, I, I, I'm offended, but I'm gonna respect the fact that it's your position, and you know. And I've had some people say, "Okay, supervisor, we can't come to an agreement on this. What do you say?" And I'm willing to follow that. Mm-hmm. Indeed, indeed. Yeah. Okay. That, that's respect. That's respect. That's respect. That's respect. We don't have to always agree, but we will respect each other. Yeah. And let's pivot a little bit on respect. So there's this idea that we have this work-life balance. Mm-hmm. So how do you respect the two? Or in my opinion, I don't try to respect the two and try to keep them totally different. I just think that um, I don't have the mental capacity to have these all separate boxes. I try to mesh mine as much as possible. As a matter of fact, part of what I'm doing here, I like to talk to people about the things I like to talk to them about. I also like to hike and I like to drive. Meshed all of that and I'm here. Mm-hmm. So when you talk, when you hear people hear, say about this work-life balance and making sure you have space to do you and that you're working on stuff that is personally fulfilling, what's your thought process on that? You think it's too she-she, frou-frou? <laughs> what's your thought? I think what helped me with that work-life balance was um, working for the Defense Intelligence Agency mm-hmm. because we dealt with top-secret stuff. And so whenever, when we left work, we left the work. Mm-hmm. I mean, you had to be careful where you were driving because it was during the cold war and all the stuff. So um, you still had to be careful. But the thing of the matter was, I knew that when I left work, I left work. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a briefcase. Mm-hmm. I mean, I did something. I had my lunch and something. But there was no, there were no papers to bring home, and so mm-hmm. I learned how to separate that. Okay. And so this little gadget right here, I know that if I don't answer it, I don't talk to the person. They can even leave a message and call me back and send me an email. If it's my, one of my children, yeah, I'm going to answer. But I, I don't, I'm not dictating. So I have to learn that at some point, um, this doesn't work. When we were in Maryland, my husband's pastoring, he would preach on the first Sunday in August, serve communion, and he wouldn't come back to the first Sunday in September. It's vacation time. The whole month of August. So was it real vacation oh, or the constant vac- checking your email? Uh, you could check me once, but you didn't have to. Mm-hmm. But he's gonna do it. You know, he's, he'll be dying to check his email. Um, but it was fun. It was mm-hmm. fun time. Mm-hmm. So he would go to South Carolina with, and spend time with his mother and stuff, and I would be in Maryland, and I would go to the church. But it was vacation time, and so when we came here, we found out that and your conference just started in August. Like, wait a minute, what's up? So we had to find time. Mm-hmm. So we tried to carve out time, but we just had our anniversary a few weeks ago in February. So we try to carve out time around that. Sometimes we do things for birthdays, and then we do family. One year we took a, a family trip after Christmas to uh, Punta Cana, I think it was. But we try to do that, and and and, and people people will respect it. Mm-hmm. You know. Do you ever feel guilty about taking the time? Nope. Good. Mm-hmm. Not a bit. Not a bit. Because whenever people want to go places, they go. They do what they want to do when they want to do. They don't care. They don't come to church for six months because they do what they want to. <laughs> I can do the same. So mm-hmm. yeah, I don't. I don't. No, I don't. Nobody's gonna take care of me because like, nobody knows what I need. Some days I don't know. Nobody knows what I need. Nobody knows what you need. I yeah. love that. And if I don't tell them, mm-hmm. and they're just going, well, I'm just mad because they. No, you didn't. They're not. 
mind readers. You were going along with this, so they're thinking, hey, we're working mm-hmm. together. Everything is happy, and you're the one stressed out. Mm-hmm. My philosophy is, how come, how do I get to be the only one that's stressed out? If I'm going to be stressed, you're going to be stressed out. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, but really, mm-hmm. everybody else can go, I don't want to bother anybody. I don't want to get them upset. I want them to know that I'm here for them. But you're the one stressed. You, 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 you can't, when you lay down at night, you're shaking. You can't sleep. Why if I can't do anything else, I can sleep. I can sleep anywhere. I can sit here in this chair, and you can sit right there, and you give me ten minutes. I'm out, and I'm—I don't mean—I mean out, <laughs> because I learned. I, uh, I went through a phase in my life where I had to learn to take a nap, mm-hmm. and uh, I had a. It was the first Sunday in twenty two thousand seven. I preached a um, sermon, and I. Um, got ready to do the invitation and my foot when I turned my foot wouldn't move and I was like geez what is this so being a strong black woman as I am I pressed through it long story short I uh, went to the emergency room I'd, I'd had a mini stroke hmm. and in talking with the, the doctor in the, in the emergency department she said you know what we bury people like you Oh, that's a bit sober. Yeah. And I could understand that was direct. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> no, perhaps you may even think about doing other things and stuff and not constantly. We bury people like you. Wow. And I and I told her, I said, after, because I got, ended up getting back in touch with her, I, said, I appreciate that. Mm. You know, before my mother died, I couldn't even take a nap. I just thought that the world would just collapse. Wow. Wow. So how did you renegotiate all these expectations? Because I'm with you. When I hear we bury people like you, something's got to change. So therapy. Okay. Good deal. Intense. Mm -hmm. Intensive Mm -hmm. therapy. Long-term therapy. Um, Another thing that helped me was the the chaplaincy piece Mm -hmm. doing the uh, clinical pastoral education. It's a focus on yourself. So you have to get rid of all the stuff that you have because as a chaplain, I have to be able to... Um, deal with whatever religion you are or lack of thereof. Mm-hmm. And I cannot proselytize. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So if you come and tell me you believe in ducks walking on the water, I'm with the ducks. I'm with you and the ducks. Now, I might not see the ducks, but those are your ducks and I have to respect the fact. I respect your ducks. I respect your ducks. <laughs> and so in order to do that, what clinical pastor education, it pulls out. It just breaks you down. Hmm. I mean, it just breaks. They, they had us do this exercise where we had to write our obituary. Mm-hmm. And you had to sit there. You, you, you turned. I would turn around, and, and my class would be back up. It was five of us, and they would read, and they would read it, and then they would talk about it. Well, look what she did. I can't say anything. You'd be sitting there, but you, nothing. They discuss my life while I'm sitting there, as if I'm not, as if I'm dead, and they're reading mm. my obituary. I'm not there, so I can't say anything. But it also helps put. I wonder why she did this. Why did she do this? Well, she said she wanted to do this. You know, what kind of regrets did she have? So clinical pastoral education would clear up a lot of the clergy mess mm-hmm. if everybody were required to take at least one unit of it. Mm-hmm. And I think a unit is like 12 weeks or something, but it, 12, 16 weeks. But it, it, it made me look at me. Wow. And it had other people say, yeah, yeah, I know you were messed up too. And you can say that in the right <laughs> setting. But what, what, what made you think? What made you think that was okay? Mm-hmm. You know, it, you really did that? Yeah, I did. Well, then why would you do that? And so it, 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 it gets, my stuff is here. It forces you to be introspective. 
got to be introspective. You sit there. I remember, oh God, I was so crushed because I'm a good little AME preacher. And this, I went to uh, my first on call, overnight on call. The morning we went from seven to seven. And that morning at about six something, this kid came into the, they brought his kid into the emergency department and the child was dead. I mean, on two years. And the mother hadn't gotten there, but the mother and the father were separated. And the father was just really, really being a jerk. So he would not answer the mother's call. So I went to a phone in the hospital and I said, I said, hello. He, he, he answered. I was surprised he answered. I said, excuse me, sir. I am calling from and I'm calling about your son. And so he got it. But I had not, the mother hadn't, the mother was on her way. I think she was on her way. Anyway, when she got there, she didn't know that the baby was dead. She really thought he was still alive. I knew it and the staff knew it. Um, so now we got, you know, we take you in this little room and we sit here and we just really play around with you for a while until the doctors say it's okay. So when she saw the baby, you know, I told her, that, well, you know, the baby didn't make it. And she was like, oh, just crushed. And she was just crying and stuff. And went back in and she just grabbed the baby and held him. And I was, so in, in my tradition, we're taught that everything that God does is good. Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. might not see it now, God, mm-hmm. but in the name of Jesus, mm-hmm. we're going to see it after a while. And we're going to mm-hmm. rejoice. Yeah, because you have moved your hand once again. Mm-hmm. And so I was, I was praying with the mother and I said, this is a, I said, for now, this is a sad time, but really it's a joyous time. And so that I chose to do my verbatim on that case. Mm-hmm. They ripped, what make you, this woman's child, you sit there telling us a good time? And I explained, this is my tradition, and, and but I don't do that anymore. Mm-hmm. This this sucks. <laughs> this God, you have made this person mad. Why did you do this? And mm-hmm. And so... It it get it got me out of the stuff of thinking that okay yeah mm-hmm. yeah it also teaches us to use I mm-hmm. and not we mm-hmm. you know as in relating to things clinical pastoral education and personal therapy helps me a lot I think that's beautiful I learned I couldn't rule the world mm-hmm. if I died people would still go on because mm-hmm. I didn't think you know I just knew that if I died that mm-hmm. was it mm-hmm. everybody's gonna fold up mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. then I started noticing people dying and <laughs> we're still moving on <laughs> yeah I mean, that could be me mm-hmm. yeah. I, uh, I think it's really amazing too to get to a place where we can talk openly about therapy mm-hmm. I come from a family where if you say you went to therapy uh, one of my older relatives would put it this way I told her I went to therapy she said what's going on in your life you can't talk to me <laughs> You. That's what's going on in my life. What? That's what's going on in my life. And I'm like, yeah, cousin Sue, I'm probably not going to tell you all my problems. Not you. But you can handle it. I think we have to recognize that, like you said before, nobody knows what you need but you. And we have to find ways to absolutely insist on taking care of ourselves. Because if we allow ourselves to be beaten small by life, life will do it. In a perfect way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Perfect way. I mean, but I hear you. I had to go do this. No, you didn't have to. Mm-hmm. You chose to. You chose to. Uh, I got something. Someone asked me a position that I want. And I said, no. I, I, so you don't want to do this? I mean, so you're not going to do this? No, why not? I said, because I don't want to. Mm-hmm. And they were just crushed. Mm-hmm. But I didn't want to do it. And that. I knew that if I sat there with them long enough, they were going to keep talking. And I was going, oh, no, I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
And I said in a nice way. Absolutely. Now, if you keep asking me, it might not be nice, but I've told you. So when people tell me I don't want to do something, I'm good. Mm -hmm. Because I know they don't want to do that. And so it's not my job to make them do something. Because if you make somebody do something, you're going to do the work. Mm -hmm. Yeah, (laughs) for sure. For sure. I told you I didn't want to do this. But since you insisted that we could do this, so we're going to do this. Yeah, we. Yes, indeed. Indeed. So I'm just just very, um, I'm I'm very, no, I I don't want to do that. So here's my last question. So we talked about earlier um, your anchor habits just in terms of your day to day. So do you have an anchor habit in terms of where do you go when you feel depleted? Who fills you up? I tend to see leaders in ministry. Y'all fill up everybody. Who fills you up? I'm assuming that person in there probably helps. But, yeah, but he's got his own ministry stuff going on. Yes. Um, I have a group back in Maryland called The Crew. The Crew. The Crew. We're the Crew. I can call them and say anything. In public, I'm Reverend Sharita. In fact, in private, they call me Reverend Sharita. But we can just, we can just talk. Mm-hmm. We can, mm-hmm. I can just say I have a friend I went to Divinity School with. When I caught, I had COVID um, over Easter weekend, and I was sick. And so she called me the other week. I guess I guess I've been up. I was off quarantine. And she called me and I said, oh, God, I've been sick, man. That's no joke. So we talked two weeks ago. She said, oh, yeah, you're back. <laughs> you're back. You're making jokes. You're back. But I can say anything I want to say to her. And I know that when I say it to her, I'm saying it to her. Mm-hmm. And if she says it to anybody else, it's to help me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I, I have I have another friend in Maryland like that. She's, she's like a sister. Indeed. And, also, and then I got my crazy family. My siblings, uh, my sister said, you don't know how, you need to learn how to cuss. You can't cuss. <laughs> Cussing is good for you. You know what she said. Now, since you can't cuss, don't cuss because it'll be embarrassing to the family. So what you do, when you have a problem, you call me and I will cuss for you. See. And it will be happy. See, I have a cousin. She developed premature onset of dementia. Mm-hmm. And that same 90-year-old person I told you, said, why don't you talk to me? Mm-hmm. She said, Marianne lost her mind because she let people run over her. I've been telling her for years she need to cuss them out. If she do, her mind will come back. I'm like, wait a minute. But she meant that. What is that color from? You need to, you need to bash Mr. Head open. Think about it later. <laughs> Yes. I love the color purple. Don't get me started on that. Verbatim, I got it. (laughs) Right on your head. Indeed. Well, Supervisor, it has been lovely talking to you. I mean, absolutely love it. I'm wonderful. Uh, It's been a wonderful drive to come out and to visit with you. I thank you for your time. Um, I'm so excited about taking the time to, frankly, produce this and share this with people. I think people will definitely uh, identify with a lot of what you said. And I'm just grateful for your transparency. Well, thank you. Thank you for listening to the Leadership Drives podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please rate and subscribe share with your family and friends, and be sure to tune in to the next episode of The Leadership Drives.